Well, good morning. Today begins the uh, officially the Advent season for our church. And I want to make one point really clear this morning. It's the title of the sermon. It's Jesus is the gravity of Christmas. Without Jesus, Christmas makes absolutely no sense. And without Jesus, all of the concepts that we think of during Christmas time in terms of generosity and love and hope and peace are completely void without Jesus. And so because Jesus is the gravity of Christmas that holds everything together, what we do in the church, one of the greatest Christian traditions, is we begin to take part in something called Advent. And what Advent is, is it's kind of an anticipation of a coming person or event. And so we, we commit ourselves during this season to focus on the reality that we are going to celebrate 18 days from today, the birth of Jesus Christ. And what we realize in the church is oftentimes we get busy in our life with our family. And so it, it can be hard to focus during this season And so what we do during Advent as we gather with the church, as we read through some of the readings that are available to you that we provided here at the church, as we gather with family, we prepare our hearts to worship on Christmas. You may have noticed things go better when you prepare. I I realized this year there's a big difference between hosting a Thanksgiving meal and just showing up and going to a Thanksgiving meal because we had the, the opportunity this year for the first time to host our first one at our house. Um, on Thanksgiving evening. And in order to make sure Thanksgiving went really well, we had to plan all of the dishes out. And so my wife planned all of the sides, and we had to plan where we— I, I bought the turkey from Rudy's, and it was really, really good. Um, I, I mentioned that to some of you. I highly recommend it. And so we planned everything out. And not only the food that we were going to eat, we also planned out the games that we were going to play. And so we wanted it to be a thankful event. And so we decided that we would have a game about write a million things that you're thankful for. And so we played one of those kind of cheesy games. But— It worked really well. And what you find is that whenever you prepare for something, you tend to get a better experience when you do it. And it's my prayer during these next 18 days that we wouldn't just celebrate a holiday, that we would truly have an experience of God during this Christmas season. And that this this season of, of waiting and anticipating would give us hope and encouragement for the ultimate second return of Jesus Christ. And I can think of no better way to begin this Advent season than in Luke chapter 2. So if you turn there with me at this moment, that's where we're going to be. And, and Luke chapter 2 is kind of like the, the essential Christmas story in the Bible. It tells us what happened. And so if you're unfamiliar with the church or with Christmas, um, this is the story that we're about to read of Jesus Christ being born. And so we're going to begin our time this morning by reading this. Would you stand with me at this time? If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen for you. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered for the census, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. 
And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region were the shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. May God bless this word. You may be seated at this time. I love Christmas, right? And, uh, and you probably do too. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence that the greatest holiday, maybe the world has ever known, I, could, I think you can maybe make that argument, I'm just going to believe that, that it is centered around God being born to the world to save it. Can you imagine a more epic storyline than the God of the world coming to be born to save his rebellious creation and self-sacrificially die for them? And what Advent is, is it's a time of reflection and anticipation that we would not just celebrate a holiday, but that we would literally understand the depth of this for our personal life and for our church. This is what I believe during this Christmas. God just doesn't want you to celebrate a holiday. He wants you to invite you into the room where Jesus was born, to to see the birth pains on Mary's face as she's giving birth to Jesus. I think God wants us to be that close. He wants you to to bring you into the room as Joseph is probably pacing back and forth because he's still very unsure of all of this stuff. And his wife who got pregnant, although she was never with a man. He wants to, to bring you into the room when Christ was born, ironically covered in blood as a baby, which would be his ultimate fate to die for the sins of the world. God wants you to be very close to him during this Christmas season. God does not want us just to remember him, but to know him. And what Advent will do in our hearts is it will draw us to Jesus, and it will show us this first, that ultimately Jesus is the gravity of Christmas. We've got a lot of cheesy sayings that remind us that Christmas is all about Jesus, don't we? Jesus is the reason for the season. Raise your hand if you've ever said that. Okay, that's a good saying. Or, keep Christ in Christmas. You ever said that? Raise your hand if you have the bumper sticker. Cool, that's awesome. That's nothing to be ashamed of. That's awesome. Or, it's all about Jesus. We we, we write Christmas with Christ in all caps, right? In M-A-S in lowercase, right? Because we're making a statement, you know? And I think that's wonderful. But the question is, what are the actions that we're going to do to back up this? Because I think we often have hollow beliefs sometimes, don't we? We say these things, but what do we really do to show this? If we spend more time in Target and Walmart this Christmas season than gathering with the church or in the Bible and in prayer, then then what are we being made into? What are we we displaying with that? I love shopping. I I love giving gifts. I'm not the giving gifts basher preacher guy. Um, I think it's actually a wonderful holiday if it's done in the right spirit. So I go to those places. 
Except now I go to Amazon.com because it's like super convenient. You know, the world is really changing rapidly. I love it, man. I'm, on, I'm a Prime member now. I've got free shipping all the time. But anyway, <laughs> Merry Christmas. We get so caught up in the event, in the occasion, and in the season that we miss the person of Christmas. You see, Christmas is about a person. Jesus is the gravity of Christmas. If you don't have Jesus and, and Christmas for you is all about love and peace and all these like, I kind of envision it like a bunch of ambiguous terms floating in the universe. Like it's about giving. Why? I don't know because that's what they always say. It's about love. Why? I don't know because it sounds good. It's about, you know, family. Why? I don't know just because that's what you do during Christmas. And, and if you don't have Jesus, none of these concepts hold together. They're just random things. But in Jesus, everything that Christmas is about finds its fulfillment. Christmas is about peace because when Christ was born, he brought peace on earth. And, and Christmas is about family because Christ was born in a family. Jesus ordains the family. Christmas is about love because ultimately the reason why Christ is born is because God loves you so much that he sent his only son that we wouldn't have to perish because of our sins. And I really do try to be an understanding person in a lot of things. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. But I'll tell you one thing that aggravates me, right? And one thing that I, I just, it's like when I hear this thing, and I hear it on TV a lot, I almost can't even contain myself. I like to start talking at the TV because I just get really aggravated. Um, when people begin to say things like, Christmas is about happiness. Like these pithy terms, right? Christmas is about gifts. Christmas is about compassion. And I'm like, that isn't like, no, it's Christmas. Like once again, I'm being that guy, the Christ all caps guy, right? Christmas. It really makes absolutely no sense. And what you find is people often, they want to celebrate the holiday, but they want to remove the person of Christmas, I've never understood that if people don't want to have Christ a part of it, just have a party on December 25th, but don't call it Christmas. Jesus is the gravity of everything. Jesus is the reason this building was built. He's the reason these people are assembled. He's the reason that wreath is hung. He's the reason this candle is lit. He's the reason that we're singing this morning because he loves us and we're responding to him through everything that we do. He holds everything together. But we often miss him in everything. What Advent will do is it will remind us daily as we go through our readings, as we read scripture, as we gather with family, it will remind us and stir our affections for Jesus because we're constantly reminded of how much he loves us. I had the opportunity to, to go to one of the, uh, America's uh, most famous cathedrals in San Francisco, California. It's called St. Mary's Cathedral. And I, I've got a picture of here of, of it actually, I think of the inside of St. Mary's Cathedral. It's amazing. I know it's the best picture I could, I could get, but just to give you some perspective, that little dot right there is my wife. You can probably see her right in front of, I guess, where the, the podium would be. And, and I mean, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I love architecture. And whenever you walk into this place, it's, it, it really almost takes your breath away because it's perfect. I mean, if there was ever a perfect building, this would be it. I mean, it's like, it's really cool because it's like this huge building, but there's like the center part of the roof that goes all the way up. I mean, it's probably a couple hundred feet up in the air with this like beautiful, like kind of glass stuff coming down from it. And around the entire building, there's all these really pretty images and it looks so amazing. And literally, it, I know it sounds cheesy, but it really takes your, your breath away when you're in this place. And what was really funny, I remember two years ago when we were there, as I was walking out, something interesting happened to me. 
I was walking out, and uh, I hate to admit this, but as I'm walking out in one of the pews, because there's like thousands of pews, this place is so huge, I see a woman in a pew praying. And my first impression is, that's weird, why is she praying, you know? But I was like, oh wait, I'm in a church. I'm in a church, and I'm, I'm finding it odd that somebody's praying, right? And, and, and you're in this building, and it was almost too beautiful that it kind of distracted you, your human senses from the grandeur of, of God. And, and what happened was I was in this huge place and I, I feel bad. I, I didn't think all that much about God. I missed the whole point of the grandeur. I missed the whole point of why they made it beautiful. I missed the whole point, the whole inspiration. And so while it was physically pleasing and in my flesh, spiritually, I was empty because I didn't realize the reason why I was really there. And I believe that sometimes this is how we approach Christmas. We, we don't prepare ourselves. We don't think about Jesus. We, we don't stir our affections for him. And then we show up on December 25th and our family really annoys us. And so we spend about a few hours with our family who's really annoying us. We get some presents, half of which we're going to exchange anyway. Usually you get one really good one. That's really cool. But you get some presents and you go home and Merry Christmas. But Jesus is the gravity of Christmas. And uh, I'm really excited because my wife and I, we, we've never done Advent together before. Uh, we've heard about it, but we've never partaken in it. And so we've committed this, this week, and I'll be honest, we missed a couple days in our Advent readings, confession time. But we're going to catch up. We're going to make up. You're not perfect. You all probably missed weeks too. Some of y'all probably read it day one and haven't touched it since. You probably lost it. If you need another copy, there's a sheet in the front. You can fill it out. We can get you one. But Jesus is the gravity of Christmas. Everything we do from the kids play to our family Christmas on the 21st to the candlelight gathering to the songs that we sing, we need to begin the season by knowing it's all about Jesus. Second thing is this. Jesus transforms us during Christmas. Jesus wants to do a work in your life during this season. You see, Christmas is just as much about transformation as it is celebration. Amen? Christmas is just as much about growing in holiness. You don't get a break from discipleship during the Christmas season. I think we think that sometimes, right? Oh, I can stop being obedient and I can stop discipling and sharing my faith because it's Christmas and I'm celebrating, right? That's what we think, right? It's like halftime from discipleship. But no, Jesus wants to work in you. I want to read something in our text this morning in Luke chapter 2. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock right after Christ was born. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now I'll tell you what the angel does not say, and then I'll tell you what the angel does say in this text. The angel does not say to the shepherds, a savior is born this day. Now go set up a holiday once a year to remember that this event happened. Angel doesn't say that. That's good. That's not what the angel says. The angel says, for unto you the savior is born who will change the world. Now go and find him. And what my question for you is this morning is during this Christmas season, what will we do to seek out Jesus? 
What are we doing to, to get to know him more? What are we doing to grow in him? What are we doing to experience him? Like I said earlier, it's like uh, God wants to bring us into the place where Christ was born. He wants us to experience what this is really all about. He wants us to see the birth pains on Mary's face and, face and Joseph being nervous. He wants us to be a part of this. Jesus wants to transform your life during Christmas. And this is an idea that's not unfamiliar in the, the regular world. If you've seen any Christmas movie, you know that Christmas is all about transformation. One of my favorite movies is Jingle All the Way. Anyone ever seen that movie? Jingle All the Way? Yeah? Christmas Vacation? Here's a good one. I'll Be Home for Christmas with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Remember that one from the 90s? Remember when 90s kids at? In all these movies, it's the same plot every single time, right? So take Jingle All the Way, right? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger stars as a father in Jingle All the Way, but he's like a horrible workaholic father, right? And so he never sees his kids, and he misses all of this stuff. He's a really bad dad. And so to make up all of his transgressions to his son, he decides he's going to go out and find him the Turbo Man doll, right? Turbo Man was a big toy that year. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger sits out, sets out on a very hilarious journey to find Turbo Man, and he meets his arch-rival Sinbad. I don't know what happened to Sinbad, but he doesn't make movies anymore. Along the way. And they're both trying to get this doll for their son because they're trying to make up for not being very good fathers. And by a, a weird chance of luck, as Arnold Schwarzenegger is hilariously trying to find this, he ends up in the parade of Christmas that year where Turbo Man is like the life-size Turbo Man is featured. And somehow he ends up being Turbo Man and he saves the day. And at the end, his son runs up to meet him at the parade after he's fought off all the bad guys. And his son loves him, and it's all made well. And Arnold Schwarzenegger underwent the transformation from a horrible dad to a really good dad during this Christmas movie. It's the same with Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation, right? He's a quirky, goofy kind of guy at the beginning, and towards the end, he's a family guy, and everything works out. It's a, it's a transformation time. And because we believe that Jesus is the gravity of Christmas, it's all about Christ— and because Christmas is a transformational time, because it changed the life of these shepherds, we believe that Jesus wants to transform us during this Christmas season. I've loved going through these readings every single night we've been going through them. And it, it's funny how odd it seems sometimes, because we're so tempted to be pulled away from the important things in life, like Jesus and family. It's like, we feel busy, we feel pressured, we feel like we have to get a bunch of presents for people, we, we feel pulled to, like, like the, the ads on, on TV kind of make us feel like we have to make Christmas so special, and we're so, we're so pulled from, to make Christmas such an event and a thing that we do, and in reality, Christmas is supposed to, to warm our hearts for the gospel. Christmas is supposed to direct our attention to Jesus, and Christmas is supposed to make us love him even more. And yet we're so distracted. And the last thing is this. I think this is so beautiful. During Advent, Jesus gives us hope for his second coming through Christmas. Let this season of Christmas give you hope for the second coming of Jesus. There was a, a story I read about a year ago, and it was a... Um, it was a man who did a Christian radio broadcast. And he was given this broadcast, and he was talking about um, how it didn't make sense how secular science tried to prove that there wasn't really a soul. 
and he believed that there's a difference between your flesh and your body and your soul, which, which lives on. And he used this, this hypothetical example. He said, you know, I could, I could get on my motorcycle and I could, I could drive up 210. He was in Los Angeles, a freeway called 210. I could drive up 210 when I leave here and I could, I could, I could die on my motorcycle, get in a wreck, and yet that's only my physical body. My soul lives on. I can't believe how people think that's just the end. He's saying this. And then two hours later, he actually gets on his motorcycle, heads up the, the 210 freeway in Los Angeles, and, and almost exactly like he described it, got in a wreck and he passed away. And, and sometimes we use these hypothetical ideas it's just like talking points and things that we say or we're trying to prove a point and, and we forget the, the reality of these things. Is, is the second coming of Jesus, is it a reality in your heart or is it a theological concept? Like the same way that that happened, like he's saying, well, what if this happened and then it actually happens? I could literally be saying this right now and Christ could return. I don't know what it would look like exactly or, or how all everything plays out, but, but literally he could return in this moment right now. And, and, and we know this because 2,000 years ago God came. And what Advent reminds us is that we are not the first people to have waited for God. The, the, Israel was, was desperately waiting for the Messiah to come for so many years. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Like the pain and the hurt and the angst in that song. I love how it's in a minor key because it just kind of displays how they felt. And, and as we begin to relate with Israel during this time of what it was like to wait, we realize that's us too. But we find much hope in the first coming that gives us an understanding of the reality of the second coming. This stuff really actually happens like 2,000 years ago. And once again, I'm not saying hypothetical. I mean, think through the hypothetical. Think to history. Think to reality. Like he really came 2,000 years ago. And look what we're doing right now. Look at the, the 2 billion believers all across the world. Christmas is a, is a reality. It's not a myth. It's not a made-up holiday. Christmas testifies to the most influential event that probably ever happened in human history. It is real. And the story we read in Luke chapter 2, it is a real story of Christ born to the Virgin Mary. And the shepherds and the wise men later down the road came in and visited. Can you believe this happened? And can you believe that he will then return again? Is your heart excited for the return of Jesus? And while Christ has come, let's be honest, we get really confused about why we still live in a broken world. I've heard people ask me before, well, why does he have to come again? Why, why couldn't he have just come and that have been it? Why couldn't, why couldn't the first coming have been the final coming? Why couldn't he have done it that way? And I think sometimes when we, when we ask that question, I think we miss the overall narrative of Scripture. And I want to use a story to kind of illustrate this, and then, then we'll close our time together. Because this is a big question that a lot of people ask today, especially a lot of people my age. They ask this question, well, how come he's got to, well, how does it work? Let me explain it. I was searching for a verse on hope because I was working on this uh, this week, and uh, 
I get tired of looking through heady commentary sometimes, and so I did what everyone else does. I just went to Google, and I, I Googled hope, right, and Bible verses on hope. And the first Bible verse that came up really kind of shocked me. It was Genesis 1-8, and it says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. The word hope wasn't even in that verse, and it was basically after Noah had wrote out the flood and the waters receded. That was a Bible verse on hope. It didn't make any sense to me. And so I started thinking about it, and I started praying about it, and I realized, wow, this is like a scary good analogy to understand why we are in the state that we're in. And let me explain. Whenever God saw his creation and rebelled against him and that he was going to flood the world, he, he went to Noah, who was a righteous man. He said, hey, look, Noah, I'm going to flood the world. I'm going to start over, but you're a righteous man. I want you to build an ark that will protect you from the flood. In a sense, this ark that he was going to build, that God was going to instruct him to build, was going to be his savior from the flood. So the flood's already coming, but Noah decides to be obedient and build the ark. So he builds the ark, and he gets all the animals on there and his family on there, and the flood comes. And the flood wipes out the world, but Noah is safe in that moment, and he is protected from the flood waters by this ark that was built. But here's the thing. Once Noah built the ark, he still had to ride out the flood. Amen? Just because he built the ark doesn't mean the flood wasn't coming. He built the ark because the flood was coming. And then after 150 days, the Bible said, of being on the ark, I'm, I'm sure it, it, almost, it almost says it as if Noah was kind of worried that maybe God had forgotten about him. I know you said to build this ark and it was going to save me, but actually I don't remember God saying he was ever going to stop the flood, you know? I don't remember him ever saying the waters are going to recede. I mean, maybe I'll just be on this boat forever. Maybe it'll break eventually and I'll die. Maybe it's not permanent. But then in Genesis 8, 1, the verse of hope, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals. He sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Physically, the ark was Noah's savior from the flood. But the flood still had to come. And when you look at the narrative of the Bible, which is important to understand as we go through this season, is that humans, even after the flood, had walked away from God. We had rebelled. We were born into sin. We all have sin in our lives. And God had wrath coming for sin because he is going to have a perfect world. He is going to bring the new heaven and the new earth. But he sent Jesus 2,000 years ago, which we celebrated Christmas, to be our Savior from the flood of God's wrath that is coming. And once we come to Jesus, and once we are aligned with him and have faith in him, here's the thing, you still have to ride out the flood, amen? Or oh my, oh my. The reason why we are awaiting the second coming is because God is making the world new. And, and what Advent does during this season is it shows us that Jesus is the gravity of Christmas. It's all about him. That Jesus wants to transform us during Christmas. But ultimately, that Jesus gives us hope for the second coming during Christmas. This actually happens. And so church, I want to encourage you this morning, if your life feels like a flood and there's so much sin that you struggle with, and work is hard, and the family is difficult, and maybe Christmas is stressful. Maybe you struggle with sin. Maybe people sin against you, and it feels as if you're, you feel like, well, I'm saved, but it feels like the floodwaters will never recede in my life. Take hope. Because Christmas reminds us that God never forgets his people. 
So to close this morning, I want to challenge you with three simple things. The first, I want to challenge you for the remaining 18 days up until Christmas to be in prayer and in the Bible. I would hope you would always do those things, but I I would challenge you during this season to, to relate with God by being close to him. Number two, I would, I would challenge you to be pure in terms of sin. I don't know what sins you struggle with. Maybe it's a, a sexual sin. Maybe it's a gossip sin. Maybe it's something else. But I want to challenge you to be pure during this season. Once again, let us not forget that, that God wants to transform us, wants to make us more holy even during the Christmas season. And the third thing is I want to challenge you to, to lean into your family during this season. Jesus was born into a family. And ultimately, your family is your greatest ministry. And oftentimes, we struggle to produce fruit in this world because we can't get our family in line first and foremost. We have struggling marriages. We, we struggle with the kids, and it ultimately impacts our, our ministry and our impact all around us. Use this season. Use the beauty of Christmas to draw near to your family. As many of you have, have known... Um, we have Advent readings that we're going through as a church. Um, we had a really great response last week. We, I thought we were going to like 30 people do it. And we had 80 people do it. And so we didn't print enough copies. Um, if you need a copy of that, you can sign up. There's a sheet in the front. We've run out again, but we can print you one. We can get it to you tomorrow. And, and it's a simple tool. You don't have to use it, but it just keeps your heart focused on Jesus during this season. And I want to remind you, church, that Jesus wants to transform you during this season. Lean into Christmas, lean into this season, lean into Advent. There is much hope to be had. It's abundant. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you come to save us. That 2,000 years ago, you looked down at your people even the people in this room who you know by name, and you wanted to reconcile us to you. And you sent your son to be born in our world, to enter our humanity, to live our life, that you could save us and atone for our sins. God, we thank you for the hope that is Christmas. We thank you for the reality that that you have come to the world and that you are coming again. And we thank you that you were going to make everything right, that you were gonna withdraw every desire from our hearts and make it a reality. And God, focus us during this Christmas season. God, we're so distracted by everything that's around us, God. By the, the television and the emotions of Christmas and the, the family stuff and the, the works, the, the, the jobs that never seem to cease, God, we're so burdened during Christmas. But Lord, would you alleviate us? God, help us to lean into the hope of Christmas. Help us to see you so clearly, God, more clear than we've ever seen you in our entire lives. Help us to see the gospel that you love us no matter what we do. That no matter how we entered this room today, if we will come to you, if we will walk to you, you will always take us. 
You will always forgive us. You will always love us. We confess our sins at this time, God, and we rejoice in your gospel. We love you, Jesus. We're thankful for you, Jesus. We give you glory, Jesus. We give our lives to you, Jesus. We give you Christmas, Jesus. We give you this church, Jesus. We give you our broken families, Jesus. We give you our hurt and our sin. We give you our insecurity. We give you our doubt, Jesus. Transform us during this season and draw us to you. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.